We're going to spend the next uh, several months looking at a group of churches in Galatia. And so remember this, not one church, but several churches that were terribly deceived by the false message of religion. Religion is that which a man does for God. Christianity is what God does through a man. And this morning, we're going to take a little time to uh, really get you into the book, but we're only going to, I'm only going to preach one verse this morning. That may make some of you very happy. <laughs> I am grateful to be here this morning. I missed being with you last week. Uh, trust me, I was, uh, I was in no shape to be preaching. I was just glad to have a pair of uh, pajamas on and kind of resting at home and recuperating after some surgery I had on the the, the Friday before, but I'm, I'm kind of back in the saddle now, so to speak. So I'm glad to be where I'm at. This week, our church lost a wonderful, wonderful lady, Clara Starkey, uh, went on to be with the Lord. I, I always tell people, you know, somebody, and I, I'm careful, I should have not said what I just said. We didn't lose her. We know where she was going. And we know that, that I'm sure there was a party in heaven when she got there. And they were having a great, great time. Uh, I am saddened that, that we're not, the, the family's not going to have a memorial service for her. But I would tell you that if you uh, want to make a, a gift in memory of her, I believe that this church is receiving uh, those gifts as well as the organization that I lead called Agape Flights. And I, I would just want to say as, as quickly as I could, but I, I must do this. Claire and Keith Starkey were, were way before their time. They were visionaries. And they believed that God had called them to do a work, uh, even after they had retired, so much the fact that, that when they went to Haiti the first time and, and on their way back, they were coming back home, Keith looked at Claire and said, I, I believe God wants us to do something for uh, these missionaries that we've served. And she said, well, yeah, I'm sure we'll go back or we'll send them some money. He said, no, I believe God wants us to buy them an airplane. And she said, with what? <laughs> they mortgaged their home. A lot of people don't know this. They mortgaged their home. They borrowed $70,000 back in 1980 to buy an airplane that they couldn't fly or maintain, but they believed God. And that was 40 years ago. That organization now has two aircraft. We lease two other aircraft. We own a building. We own a lot of things. But they started out serving about 20 missionaries. We now serve well over 350 missionaries. And uh, we are just thankful for people like Keith and Clara Starkey. Now, if she were sitting here today, she, she would tell me, you spent way too much time talking about me instead of Jesus. And this morning, when we look at Galatians, and I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, these people in Galatians were duped. 
they were mistakenly led back into religion. They, they came out of a relationship, which is the essence, by the way, of, of Christianity, and they fell back into a religion for which they would pay dearly. I, I guess I was born loving to fish. I enjoy fishing. My dad was a, a great fisherman. He instilled it in me, and I used to love to fish for catfish. And if you know anything about catfishing, we, we would go around the ponds uh, in southern Illinois. We'd pick up some catfish bait, and nothing, I'm telling you, anything that smells bad and is rotten, that can be used as catfish bait. And those old scavenger fish, they would feed off the bottom, and we'd go, we'd go. my dad had a friend, uh, and he owned a tire place. And we would go, and we'd pick up an old tire, and we would take it with us, and we would get a big container of kerosene, and we would soak that tire in kerosene, and we would light it, and it would burn all night long. Now, the key, though, is always stay upwind from that, that tire. Because it was bad. When the wind changed, that was the, that was the worst smell in all the world. But we would put that catfish bait on and we would throw it out of the, with a heavyweight sinker. We would sink it to the bottom and, and we would get one of, those, one of those little sticks like that. And we would put that, that rod and we would set up several rods. And then we'd have a, a cooler with, with bologna and cheese sandwiches and chips. And some of you are going, oh, that's gross. And it was one of the best nights you could ever spend with your dad. The old fire was burning on that old tire, and it'd burn all night long. And as most of you know, when catfish hit a bait, they don't really mess with it like other fish do. They, they'll, they'll hit that bait, and they'll go bop, 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 and then it's on. I mean, you better pull back. And, and, but the, the funny thing is that catfish will choke that bait down. I mean, they're not worried about being finicky eaters. They don't like the good stuff anyway. You put that, you put that old stink bait on there, and whoa, this is, man, they grab that. They say, this is good stuff, and they grab it, and they, they just take off with it. That catfish is so deceived into thinking that it's all healthy for him, and he swallows the whole thing, hook, line, and sinker. There's a pair of unseen hands in a world that that catfish has never understood controlling his destiny. And it doesn't take long until the hook produces his death. And it's a painful experience for the catfish. He's been deceived. He's been duped. I want to tell you that these people in Galatia didn't realize that the hook that was in this message into which they had bought into, they didn't realize they can't lose their salvation. But they didn't realize the death that was going to come from them not experiencing the fullness of Jesus and the joy that he could produce in their life, and and the love that that you can have for one another and for believers. And when they bought into that deceptive message, they didn't understand the dangers that went with it. The bondage of the law, ladies and gentlemen, and the liberty of living grace. Galatians is that classic book regarding the bondage that comes from law and the freedom that comes with grace. And so in Philippians, we see firsthand living grace, but oh, what joy it is to see that living grace. But in Galatians, we're going to see the doctrine 
behind that living grace. And we're going to see the liberty that comes with the living grace, how free we are to be what God wants us to be. Isn't that wonderful? I, I don't have to be just like you. You don't have to be just like me. Some of you are about ready to shout right now. Because you see, we don't have, we can have diversity in our personality. We don't have to march around like, like, like soldiers, you know, just in step. We can be free to be who God wants us to be. And when this message of this book got a hold of this preacher's heart, it changed me. It changed me how free I was. I don't believe that any of us here today have any idea how inbred the law mentality is in most churches. And I knew I wouldn't get much of an amen there. Because you see, we can talk grace with our lips, but we can turn right around and live right under the law by our methods and our practice. You don't know this message that I'm giving you unless you're living it. Intellectual knowledge about this message won't cut it. If you're not living it, you have not learned it. Galatians is Paul writing the book of Romans mad. I mean, he was mad in this book. He took 16 chapters in the book of Romans. He took six only in Galatians. But it only takes him six chapters. There wasn't any dialogue. There wasn't any commentary. There wasn't even an introduction. Just boom, right in their face. And as you enter the text, Paul's going to come out with both guns blazing. He does not even thank God for these people. Not even one time. Listen, he thanked God for the Corinthians and they were a mess. But he didn't thank God for these people. Instead, he came out, both guns blazing. He doesn't take you, it doesn't take you very long to realize what the problem is. And this is what the epistle to the Galatians is all about. But what I want you to do this morning is make a connection. There is nothing new under the sun. That's what Solomon tells us. You see, we're living in days when it's the same thing. We would much rather do something for God than simply relate to him. And the former approach is exactly what the flesh and our flesh desires. Let's go work for him. Let's go do something for him. I've got to do something or he won't like me. He won't accept me. He won't love me. And the message of, of the grace of Christ says, no, you do what you do because you've already been accepted. Isn't that beautiful? I've got to do something so he will love me? No. He already loves you. If you walked into this room today wondering if Christ loves you, yes, he loves you. He loves you right where you're at. Not where you think he wants you to be. He loves you right in the same position you're in right now. The mentality of the law will cripple your spiritual life and it will bring you pain that, that you didn't think could be there. And so let's, let's, let's get into this now. We've got to get into Galatians chapter 1 and I want to set the, the stage for you because he, there had to be an, a ringleader. There was a guy that started this whole thing and he has been sitting there waiting for an opportunity and now he is in a teaching position. And this teacher begins to pound the message of works. You've got to do this. 
You've got to do that. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And the believers in the churches in Galatia, and especially southern Galatia, were so mesmerized by this guy that it was almost like they got up under a spell. And they had never, it was as if they had never heard the Apostle Paul. They had never heard the message of grace. They were so hypnotized. Paul uses the word in Galatians, bewitched. They were so bewitched by these false teachers and preachers that, that, who were offering the Galatian man's gospel, not God's gospel. Now, who are these false teachers? Well, Paul mentions them in every epistle. He's not surprised that they are present, but he is surprised that the people are willing to listen to them. These folks are the Judaizers and the legalists who, who want to put genuine believers back up under the law of Moses. Some scholars believe that the Judaizers were planted in these early churches by the Jews themselves in order to corrupt the threat of Christianity against the religion of Judaism. Christianity, ladies and gentlemen, is a threat. It is a threat to any religion because it's not a religion. Somebody mentioned to me the other day, they said, oh, you're a religious man. I said, I sure hope not. They kind of looked at me. They said, but you're a man of the cloth. I said, no, 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 I'm not. They said, well, I thought you were a pastor. I said, I am. So you're not a religious man? No. Religion's a curse and not a cure. And they just, it was, it was like they were going, huh? You're mixing me up. I'm not trying to mix you up. I'm trying to straighten you out. Because, you see, Christianity is a relationship. So these people were planted in the Galatian churches. These Judaizers were creating such confusion in these Galatian churches. They didn't even know what grace was anymore. They were buying back into the system that rather than a relationship they had with Christ. Now listen, I want you to say this with me. You don't achieve, you receive. Go ahead and say that. You don't achieve, you receive. Now, you don't achieve anything in your life, you receive it. We've been talking about that the last several weeks as we've talked about the trust test, and we've been talking about every good gift comes from where? Above. All, all that you have, all that you have is really, it belongs to God. He just told you to manage it. Are y'all still with me? Okay, good, good. So, the doing in Christianity is not obeying a set of rules. Boy, I'm going to get some emails on that one. The doing in Christianity is bowing before the one who has already accomplished those rules, and then he dictates, and you just simply say yes to him. You're not attaining anything. Jesus is your spirituality. Now, folks, Galatians chapter 1. Turn there with me. That's, we're going to get into this today, and I, I promise you we're going to look at this thought of just who is in charge. Just who is in charge? Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I'm sure glad he put that in that last phrase, aren't you? 
there's this appealing deception of religion. And I want to make sure you hear what I'm saying. The deception of religion is such a problem in the body of Christ today. It was in Paul's day. It is particularly in our day today. We would much rather do something for God than we would than, than be a clean vessel through which God can do his own work. You see, when I do something, I get my results. When God does something through me, we get his results. I'd rather have his results any day. In the book of Galatians, they had bought into this. Paul is not a happy camper. The deception that had been brought into these churches had weakened the churches. It had weakened their influence and their witness, and it particularly affected the relationships that they had with one another. Paul makes a statement here that's very profound. He says here in the book of Galatians, you have actually deserted Christ by turning it into a religious works mentality. As a result of turning away, they were upside down. They were troubled. They were disturbed. You ever been a part of a church that's troubled and disturbed? Oftentimes, God has allowed me to pastor churches that that, that had had trouble, had had disturbances, sometimes splits, churches starting off of other churches. And I, I'm all about, you know, mission planting. I'm all about starting churches, even from uh, the midst of this church, starting another church, because we know statistically that new churches grow faster than old established churches. But there are often times when I go into a place and I see there's disturbance, there's, there's troubling. You see, their decision to go back to a works mentality, the old law mentality, destroyed their whole testimony. I want us to make sure that we understand this. We can talk about living grace and Christ being who he is in our life. And we can even sing about it. But if we walk outside or even within these walls, we choose to do things ourselves and ask God to bless it, we just completely erased any testimony we could have ever had, not because if we can do it, then who needs God to start with anyway? Let me tell you this, First Baptist Church. We desperately need God. We need his presence. We need his power. We need him living in the lives of the membership of this church with such vibrancy and such a live spirit that when people get around us, they'll say, what's going on with you? Not, not that, the, that we're weird, okay? Not that we're odd or anything like that, but that there's something different about what we're doing because it is Christ in us doing that. Now, Paul's heart is bleeding for these people. These deceived Galatian believers were now spiritually depleted. And we have to understand something. When false doctrine is introduced, and in this case, and in most cases in the New Testament, other than the Gnosticism, it's legalism that gets into a church. When false doctrine is introduced, typically you can always count it's going to be legalism. 
God's word has just been challenged. Somebody needs to step up, take the truth, and turn everything right side up. You see, wrong doctrine turns everything upside down. Now, who's going to step forward in this situation? Well, the Galatian churches had been infiltrated by error. Who's going to step forward? Enter the Apostle Paul. Don't you love this guy? Man, if anybody's going to be in the midst of a mess, it's going to be Paul. I mean, he starts off with the most authoritative phrase you can find in the New Testament. He says, Paul, an apostle, immediately Immediately, he caught the attention of his listeners. Paul, an apostle, the word for the, for the apostle or for apostle is apostolos, an apo from, from stolo to send, to be sent with a message. Who are these people who were sent with a message? And if we understand this correctly, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, not through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I want you to look with me today at the appointment of this apostle. Who, who appointed Paul? An apostle's appointment could not come from men. That's interesting to me. Several religions have picked up on this today, and they say that, that men can commission apostles. No, sir. They can't. You say, how can you say that so, so deliberatively? Because the Bible says it. The Bible says that if you're an apostle, you were commissioned through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And, and so Paul says, Paul says, I'm an apostle, not sent from men, not through the agency of man. Now, I do not have man as my source. My calling did not come through any agency that man could have. There's no means that man came up and with, within me made me an apostle. Now, I like this phrase, not sent from men. There's a little word in there, N-O-T. There are two words in the Greek language that are translated. One of those words, uh, N-O-T, can, can mean absolutely not, but only as the context demands it. And sometimes it can be in a relative sense. And it's used as the context directs it. But the other word for not, for N-O-T, is a, is a word that, that's not even in our English language. It's a little word, O-U, and it, which means absolutely not in any way, shape, or form. Never, never, never. And that is the word that is used here. Anytime you see that O-U, it just shuts out what follows. It doesn't matter what the context is. It means absolutely not in any way, shape, or form. So man could not appoint apostles in any way, shape, or form. He says, no man could have appointed me as an apostle. Paul is saying this. If man could not in any way appoint an apostle, then where did these apostles come from? Who appointed them? Well, Paul is very clear. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And then notice what he says. He mentions the resurrection who raised him from the dead. Now, the fact that Paul mentions the resurrected Lord is very significant to be an apostle in the New Testament, in the sense that Paul was an apostle, was to mean that you had to have been a witness of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, Paul says, Am I free? 
Am I not an apostle? And then he gives the condition, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? The question you may be asking is this, did Paul really witness the resurrected Christ? When? I don't know where that is in scripture. It's in Acts chapter nine. This is after the resurrection. This is after the crucifixion. Listen to what Acts chapter nine, verse three and four says. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, referring to to Paul, but at this time his name was Saul. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love that passage. That's like God saying, if you mess with those Christians, you're messing with me. (laughs) You're bothering me. Paul didn't think that he was persecuting Jesus. He thought that he was persecuting the Christians. And when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. There's where he met him. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul, trembling and astonished, said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go up to Damascus, and there you will be told all that has been appointed for you to do. Now keep in mind that when Paul wrote this letter, there were many false apostles. He dealt with all those epistles, not just in, he he dealt with them in all of his epistles, not just in Galatians, but the true apostles were those who were appointed by God himself. And those who were appointed by God himself were like Paul and James, men who wrote the New Testament. Galatians chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now I hope there's no question in your mind this morning that Paul is an apostle in the same sense that James was an apostle. Paul was an apostle who had been appointed by the resurrected living Christ. They had to be a witness of him and he had to appoint them. But the second thing is this. I want you to notice the authenticity of this apostle. An apostle in the days of Paul were not only appointed, but they were authenticated by Christ. They were proven to be God's apostles. How? The most definitive way they were proven to be appointed by God and they were sent apostles was their performance of signs, wonders, and miracles. These supernatural phenomena authenticated their apostleship. Now these apostles were in a class all to themselves. They were a very small group and I I wanna make sure you understand this. None of us will ever, ever be an apostle in the sense that Paul was an apostle. You can use the word generically, sent forth as a missionary, but never in the specific sense of the apostles of the New Testament. If you ever hear me say from this pulpit, God spoke to me this morning and made me an apostle, I want you to walk up here, take me by the ear and lead me to the nearest nursing home because something has slipped in this old man's mind. The apostles like Paul were the ones through whom we have the New Testament. They gave us the New Testament books. They're the foundation of the church in Ephesians. The first three chapters talk about 
who and whose are in Christ. It says, you know, in Ephesians 2.20, having been built upon the foundation, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being himself, being the cornerstone. If I wasn't so much a Baptist, I'd shout right now. We have a canon, ladies and gentlemen. We have everything we need. The apostles laid the foundation. We are the building that comes up and rests upon that foundation. They were regulated. They were relegated to a certain time. They were specific, narrow, small group. Not many people were put into the category of an apostle. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul, speaking of the mystery of Christ, says, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. And I want you to hear this as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. So the apostles were the people God used to reveal the mystery of Christ. And they in turn wrote it down so that we would have the revelation from God. What you hold in your hand, what you have, is what God has revealed to us. God used the apostles to give us the doctrine that we have today. He authenticated them by signs and wonders. Now this seems to be a topic that everybody likes to talk about. If you're looking for a pattern in signs and wonders, don't ever look for it outside of Jesus and the apostles. Can God do anything he wants to do anytime he wants to do it? Absolutely. Hello? He can. I know that shakes some of you Baptists up. But God is still God. He has not abdicated the throne. God can do whatever he wants, but when you're looking for a pattern, if I do this and this and this, God will do this. No, sir, that's that's totally foreign to scripture. Let me show you. Look in Hebrews chapter two, verse three, where we'll find the pattern. What a marvelous book Hebrews is. I love Hebrews. It says in, in this, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now look at the generation here. After it was first spoken, through the Lord, he's first generation, it was confirmed, and notice the pronouns here, to us third generation, who in the world confirmed it to the people that were being written to in Hebrews. It said it was confirmed to us third generation by those second generation who heard. Now notice, it was first shared by the Lord, then it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Who are those who heard? Who do they represent? That's the apostles. Look at Hebrews chapter two, verse four. God also bearing witness. Look at the pronoun again. With them, with them, he didn't say with us, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Now the phrase signs and wonders and various miracles is significant to understand. It simply means that this was the means that God took to affirm and authenticate his apostles. And and I challenge you to study this, the subject of signs and wonders as a phrase it's only found 10 times in the New Testament. And sometimes it's not very good. Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, signs and wonders refers to false prophets seeking to mislead the elect of God. For false 
Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Now here's signs and wonders used to mislead, to deceive. Does it make you feel like you're, you're, you're back here again? And don't, don't we see a lot of misleading going on? Ladies and gentlemen, when someone begins to, to characterize their ministry by by patterning it around themselves and the things that they can do and the miracles they can produce, and they leave Jesus out of that, that is not a biblical ministry. We've got all kinds of those out there today. Signs and wonders is used with Jesus in a very positive way. John chapter 20, verse 31 is the key verse for the whole study of the, the gospel of John. And it tells you why he came and why he did what he did. Listen, many other signs did he do, but these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. You see, it's just a sign that points you to something. You don't worship the sign. You look to where it's pointing you toward. I was coming back from a re revival several years ago, and we were, there were a bunch of us in the car, and we were just having a good old time. I was driving, which is a bad mistake when I'm having too much of a good time. And We were singing in the car. Man, we were having the best time singing. We were shouting. There were about four preachers in the car. We were just shouting and having a good time. The only problem was that I was driving, and I really wasn't paying very much attention, and we were in the mountains of Tennessee, and there was a sign that said, curve ahead. And you know when you see a curve sign in Tennessee, you better, you better pay attention. And I missed that sign. And thank God he wasn't through with me yet. We hit a guardrail and went over, and my front wheels were, were hung over what appeared to be about a 100-foot ravine down below. I mean, we were hanging. I was so glad there were fat preachers in the back and skinny <laughs> preachers in the front. Man, I, I'm telling you, I just missed a tractor-trailer truck by probably the width of a tire, and it was a hair-raising experience. We weren't shouting right at that moment. But I began to appreciate the sign. I didn't go back and, and bow down to it, but I understood what it was there for. It was to point me to something. Don't miss this. A sign or a wonder or a miracle is nothing more than a sign that Jesus used in order to authenticate who he was. It pointed us, and it pointed to the fact that he was the son of the living God. And signs and wonders in the same way with the apostles. The pattern of signs and wonders is never a pattern for anyone except the apostles and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who seek signs and wonders are not seeking Christ. Seek Christ. But he answered, listen to what Matthew says, and said to them, an evil and an adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. These signs and wonders were performed to authenticate the apostles in Christ. Now, there's never been anyone like Jesus. Christ himself appointed these apostles, and Christ himself authenticated Paul. 
What about places today that echo the same situations that these apostles went into? I have no trouble. I have no trouble whatsoever. But to look for it as a pattern, no, sir, you cannot find it in the 21st century. We don't need it because we have Christ. I want to say that again. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is all we need. He is all in all. Who is the fullness of all blessing? He is in us. He is the blesser. Why in the world would we somebody go out looking for a blessing when they, they can have the blesser? It doesn't make any sense. And so make sure that you understand who these apostles were, just who was in charge. When the apostles stepped forward, buddy, he, he pulled a badge out. He had been appointed by Christ. He had been authenticated by Christ. I, I've got a badge down here in my bag. It doesn't mean a lot. It just means I've got to conceal and carry. Okay, But I used to carry a badge for the Missouri State Highway Patrol. I was their chaplain for many years, and they, they issued me a badge. And it was quite handy when you got caught speeding. Because, <laughs> you know, you would always look for your license, and there that badge would appear. Oh, officer, I'm, I'm so sorry. Said, What's that badge? Oh. You're the chaplain, but you're going way too fast. I'm so sorry. Well, we'll, 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 not, we'll let this one go, you know. My wife says, you ought to carry that around with you all the time. I said, the problem is we live in Florida, and they can read, you know, they can read that it says Missouri State Highway Patrol. You know, I had a friend one time that told me he saw a strange thing on the interstate. You, you can see some strange things on the interstate, especially 75. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I tell you, the other day I saw something out there. I, I, better, I better just give you my illustration, not tell you what I saw the other day. But this guy, this friend of mine told me, he said, Alan, I saw this guy. He was about 5'6", maybe 5'5", five, five at, the, at the tallest, you know. And he's standing out there on the interstate, and he's stopping traffic. And he said he had a badge, and he was holding this badge up, and for some reason he was trying to keep, and he had a reason to do this, but he was, trucks were backing up and stopping. Now, let me ask you a question. Was it that little guy, that, that short guy, that short in stature, was it him or was it the badge? We know it's the badge, because the badge had authority. Now, let's make sure we understand. These apostles had authority, but that authority was not in themselves. It was in Christ who appointed and authenticated them. We've got to realize the authority is never in man. The authority is in God who lives in man. It's in Christ to the degree that the apostles lived in accordance with Christ and his will was the degree they experienced his authority. Now, don't miss this because here's the key for you and me. Authority has always got to be centered in Christ. Authority is only shared to the degree of a person's willingness to say yes. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then he adds a phrase, by the will, Philema of God. It says that the phrase by the will of God here was what Paul was saying. I am totally submissive to the authority of God in my life. And the only way I can exercise any authority is to be submissive to the authority that was delegated to me to begin with. 
So the authority is never in us. Hello? Sometimes, I'm telling you, sometimes churches and people in churches think that they are the authorities. Can I tell you something? You're wrong. You're wrong. Well, I can vote, so doesn't mean your vote's right. See, so much, I'm glad you all have a sense of humor. Sometimes I would make people mad. Can you, I can't imagine anybody ever getting mad at a man in a red jacket. <laughs> but I want you to get this. Paul had no authority in himself. His authority was in Christ who delegated it to him. And when he was willing to say yes... Then he had the authority of an apostle. Paul was a broken man, a surrendered man, a man who was called, chosen, appointed. God authenticated him. So Paul, who and what is our authority then? It's the same authority that Paul had. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, not through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. It's the same authority, ladies and gentlemen. You and I have that same authority. The Lord Jesus Christ, he and now his word is our authority. And I want you to understand that when the word of God is preached, when it is taught, when it is shared, it is the living and powerful word which helps people get their lives turned right side up. On the other hand, error turns lives upside down. I'm not interested in coming to you and, and, and giving you what Dr. Fuzzy Face wants to tell you. I'm not interested in coming to you today and talking about even current trends. Listen, we could talk about the last week in American history uh, alone. Wow, what a week. But can I tell you something? This world is upside down. Many churches are upside down, and the reason they're upside down is because the Word of God is not being taught. The Word of God is not being revered and respected. Folks, this is what we're all about. I understand from time to time I run a, a little fast, and every once in a while I'll give you a Greek word, and I don't pronounce it correctly, and I have to go home and ask my wife how to pronounce that word. She's the Greek scholar around the house. But I'm trying to get this church to a point where you absolutely love and crave the word of God. That's what I want you to want. Because God's word is going to keep us right side up in every area of our lives. And especially in the church area, in the governance of this church, in the, in the getting along of this church, in the forwardness of this church, in the vision of this church. I want you to come for the next several months, bring in your Bible, reading the book of Galatians, and I want you to come with me on this journey. And when you pick it up, we open it up without shame, without embarrassment, for it is God's word, and we never, ever have to apologize for it. You see, we're caught up today in many of our churches in utilizing the world's ways to accomplish God's ends. And I want to tell you that the world's ways have never worked and they won't work today. We must use God's means to accomplish God's ends. And that means using his word under his authority. When God's word is preached under the authority of God, 
I want to tell you, when, when he, when Christ is lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. Nobody, nobody, nobody could, could say to Paul, Paul, you're not an apostle. He said it himself, Paul, an apostle. And everybody in those Galatian churches went, whoa, wait a minute. And, but I guarantee you, they listened because he had something authoritative to say, but he is not happy. Paul is mad. He knew that religion robs us of every bit of joy we can have just by experiencing Christ moment by moment. In June of 2012, something dramatic happened to this preacher. Every time I mention it, there's a softness in my heart. There's, a, there's just a thankfulness and a joy. But in that month, during that time, I surrendered to Christ. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? You've been preaching since, since a long time ago, longer than many of you have been born. I, I started pastoring when I was 15 and a half. I'm 62, okay? I know I don't look 62, but that's okay. I said that one time, a lady came up. She said, I thought you were in your 70s. <laughs> she, had the, she had the ministry of, you know, of encouragement. <laughs> but in June of 2012, this message, this book, this message of freedom overcame this pastor. For many, many years of my life, I've been trying to please people. I've been trying to, to make God love me more. I've been trying to somehow get to that point where I felt like I was accepted. Ladies and gentlemen, I had been accepted for a long, long time, but I just had to yield my life. I just had to yield everything, every area, every pocket, every corner, every closet. And when I did that, I can tell you now, I am free. Whew. I am free in Christ. And I don't ever want to go back to that old way of religion. I don't ever want to go back to, man, I'll do this so somebody in the church will like me. No, if you don't like me, that's your problem. Because Jesus loves me just the way I am. Does that mean he corrects me all the time? All the time, I tell people all the time, I am, a, I, am a, I am a sinner and I'm a recovering sinner. I'm recovering. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're all going to struggle with this desire to, to get back up under the law because some of you, you like it. You, you like, well, I am better than, because I don't do You know what I'm talking about. But the message of grace is the answer for the message of works. I can be who God made me to be. I can wear a red jacket on Sunday morning and not worry about it. I can even have red socks on. It don't matter. Now, I'm not going to show you anything else. But I can tell you this. I wouldn't have done that 10 years ago. I'd have had a black suit on with a black tie, white shirt, and I would have thought it had to remain very dignified. Nothing wrong with dignified. 
I'm just glad God allowed me to be who I am. I don't have to be who I think I have to be or who my who I think my church family wants me to be, I can be Alan. You know what? That means John can be John. That means, that means you can be you. And let Christ work through you. Next week, we're going we're gonna to talk about the problem of pollution. And then we're going to get into testimonies in the coming weeks. We're going to talk about Paul's testimony. But I hope you will join me on this journey in Galatians. This morning as I was driving over here, I was listening to a a group that I heard a couple weeks ago called I Am They. And they, they do a song called Scars. You probably heard it. But there was another song that they have on this latest album. And as I pulled into the parking lot here at first, I had... That sound system so loud that I think the folks that I was parking next to thought, what in the world, that pastor, has he gone deaf? <laughs> but I was just worshiping. He is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. This morning as we offer a time for you to respond to God's word today, and I know some of you are going to respond today. I'm excited about that. But as we worship Let's just say, Lord, it is all about you. It's not about me. It's not about even this. It's about you. Have your will. Have your way in our lives. Let's stand together.